Please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. I'll read the text, and then I'll pray for us one more time. Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Please pray with me once more. Father, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in this time be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Incline our hearts 
to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Do us good now through your word. Give us ears to hear. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 8 is all about a character that we have met before in Proverbs, and that is woman wisdom. Uh, We met woman wisdom in chapter 1, again in chapter 3. She was alluded to in chapter 4. And we've seen in prior weeks uh, that woman wisdom is a poetic personification of God's own wisdom, uh, and especially of the wisdom that's on offer to us in the book of Proverbs, the wisdom Proverbs wants to give us. Some have said that woman wisdom is a personification of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Here in chapter 8, what we find is yet another commercial, if you will, for just how important and wonderful and necessary and indispensable wisdom is. More like an infomercial, if you remember those. Proverbs 8 is not so much a lecture on how to be wise in this or that area of life as it is, again, persuading us to want wisdom, to listen to wisdom. God permitting, in two weeks, uh, we'll move on to the second half of Proverbs, chapters 10 to 31. And the plan is from that second half of Proverbs to see what wisdom looks like concretely in our words and our work and our use of money and our relationships and all the rest. But before we get there, we need to hear woman wisdom once more telling us how badly we need her. Our text repeats many of the themes we've encountered before in Proverbs. It also develops those themes in new ways, I hope to show. I think the point of this chapter is to dump gasoline on the flame of our desire for God's wisdom. If you've ever taught anything, uh, you know that repetition is key to the learning process, especially if it's not just an information download you're after, but a, but a transformation of character. So in order to learn to want wisdom, Proverbs tells us again and again and again how valuable it is. We need Proverbs 8 to help us want wisdom. More specifically, we need Proverbs 8 to help us want Jesus. We've mentioned before that in the context of Scripture, woman wisdom functions as something of a type of the Lord Jesus That is to say, woman wisdom is both like Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus is both like woman wisdom and greater than woman wisdom. A woman wisdom is a poetic image for God's attribute of wisdom, and as Don read for us earlier in the service, Jesus Christ is God's wisdom incarnate. All that's true of woman wisdom is true in spades to the nth degree of Jesus Christ. I think of all the passages on woman wisdom throughout Proverbs, this passage, or maybe maybe next week's, have the strongest parallels between woman wisdom and Jesus himself. We need Proverbs 8 to teach us to want Jesus more as we see him more clearly. So here, Lord willing, is the game plan for this morning. As we look at the passage together, I want us to see five characteristics Uh, of wisdom in this passage, five characteristics of wisdom. And as we see each of these characteristics, I want us also to see how each of them is embodied supremely in the Lord Jesus himself. And then right at the end, I want us briefly to make one central application of all that we've seen. So five characteristics of wisdom, all of which are true of Jesus supremely. 
then one central application. The first characteristic of wisdom that we see in this passage is that wisdom is available. Wisdom is available. Look there at verses 1 to 3. The text says, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. So get the picture in your minds. Imagine a busy crossroads near an ancient city right outside the gates. We know from other Bible passages that the the elders and the rulers of the city would have assembled near the gates. That was where business was done. People are traveling in and out of these gates, going every which way. And there's an elevated section. There's a height beside the way, the text says. Maybe it's part of the wall, possible to translate it that way. And woman wisdom is there. And she's shouting. She's a street preacher. It's not very ladylike, but she doesn't seem to care. She's shouting at everyone. Notice there in verses 2 and 3, we get four lines describing the location of woman wisdom. Well, why be so emphatic about where wisdom is? Well, the point seems to be that wisdom is available publicly, that she is, if you like, accessible. She is speaking in the most public place of this ancient city, the crossroads, and she's talking to everybody. Wisdom is issuing an open invitation to come and learn from her. Here's why that's so amazing. Access to truly valuable instruction, truly valuable expertise, is almost never free. Right? The, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles are not standing on the street corners offering to teach anyone who wants to learn to become a professional football player. All right, Juilliard piano teachers don't offer lessons to anybody. Cambridge University has zero degree plans for just anyone who wants to learn. And rightly so, right? Most of us couldn't survive in the NFL or at Cambridge. And those who have expertise have the right to charge for access to it. And they're limited in their capacity. But listen, wisdom is totally different. Whatever your test scores, whatever your background, whatever your IQ, whatever your track record, whatever your past, however fit you are in the moment, you, yes, you can enroll in wisdom's school. Look at verses four and five. Wisdom says, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. In other words, if you're human, I'm talking to you. Verse 5, look at this, verse 5. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. In Proverbs, the simple person is the person who has not yet become wise. They haven't picked up what they should have yet. The simple person is easily misled. He hasn't committed to wisdom yet. He's still invited. Look at the next line, verse 5. Oh, fools, learn sense. In Proverbs, the fool is the person who has rejected wisdom. It's the person who doesn't fear God. It's the person who's proud and wise in his own eyes. You see what woman wisdom is saying? 
She's saying, hey, however foolish you have been up to this point, if you can hear me, it's not too late. Wisdom is still on offer to you if you will turn to her. You, yes, you are invited to become wise. If you will listen today, you are not yet disqualified. Wisdom is available to all who will humbly observe God's world and to all who will humbly listen to God's word. Wisdom is available. And friends, do you know this is one of the most amazing things about the Lord Jesus? Jesus has made himself available to anyone who will come to him. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, let me add my welcome to Andrews. We're delighted that you've come to be here today. When I invite people to come to Franconia Baptist Church, what I tell them is that at 1045 a.m. on Sunday, every Sunday, we open the Bible and we see what it says about Jesus. Let me tell you the main thing that the Bible tells us about Jesus. The Bible says that for, from all of eternity, there has been one God who has forever existed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have existed in eternity in a love relationship of sharing glory and life and love. And this God of life, this one God in three persons, he created us. The God of life gave you and me life. And because God gave us life, we owe him our whole lives. We owe him all of our love and our worship and our devotion. But the terrible truth is that all of us have lived selfishly and foolishly and in rebellion against the God to whom we owe life. We've ruined our lives, our relationship with the God of life, and the lives of others. And as a result, we are now headed for death, physical death at the end of our lives, and eternal death, spiritual death, when we meet God in judgment. But the good news about Jesus at the heart of the Bible is that in his mercy and his love, Jesus, God the Son who became a man, the God of life, came to die in our place. God the Father sent God the Son to become a man and to take on himself the penalty for our foolishness when he died on the cross. Jesus, God the Son, the God of life, took on himself the death, the wrath of God against sin that we had deserved. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead so that Jesus might give eternal life and forgiveness of sins to those who would trust in him. Here's the crazy part. It's free. It's free. Jesus is not like Cambridge. If you will come to him, he will receive you. Whoever you are, if you are guilty, he will wash you. If you are foolish, he will teach you. If you've totally blown it, he will help you. If you've got regrets, he will restore you. If you've got struggles, he will walk with you. You, yes, you are the kind of person that Jesus came into the world to save. 
if you will trust him, if you will come to him. Listen, if you won't come to Jesus, if you won't trust in him, then, then Jesus will be of no benefit to you. Understand that. But just like woman, wisdom stands on the heights beside the way, calling to anyone who would come to her. So Jesus Christ speaks these words from John chapter 6, verse 44. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Brothers and sisters, those of you who have come to Jesus, have you forgotten this about the generous heart of your Savior Jesus? However good or bad you've been at being a Christian this week, Jesus wants you to come to him to receive mercy and help. If you need forgiveness, if you need comfort, if you need to change, if you need strength, if you need wisdom, don't go get your act together and then come to Jesus. Go directly to Jesus for help. Jesus is available. Listen, and if you belong to Jesus, Jesus isn't just available. He's after you. In Revelation chapter 3, it says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Right, Christian, if, if you belong to Jesus, he wants you to come to him. If you will come to him in humble faith, he will not cast you out. Christian, what is so precious about your sin that you refuse to come to Jesus to hold on to it? What is it about yourself that you think that Jesus can't help or forgive Friend, listen, whether for the first time or for the thousandth, here in woman wisdom's call to the children of man, Jesus Christ's call to come to him for help, for wisdom, for mercy. Wisdom is available. Jesus Christ is available. Praise God. Second characteristic of wisdom that we see in this passage. Picking up the pace here, wisdom is righteous. <coughs> Excuse me, wisdom is righteous. Now, we've already, excuse me, considered where wisdom is standing. Now we've considered wisdom's free and open invitation to the children of man. Oh, what does woman wisdom say about the content of her instructions there in verses 6 to 9? Well, look at the words that wisdom uses to describe her teachings. In verse 6, she says, I will speak noble things. Verse 6 again, from my lips will come what is right. Verse 7, my mouth will utter truth. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are righteous. Verse 9, she calls her words straight and right, noble, right, true, righteous, straight. Look at the words that don't characterize wisdom's teaching. Verse 7, she says, wickedness is an abomination to my lips. No wickedness in wisdom's teaching. Verse 8, there is nothing, absolutely nothing twisted or crooked in my words. Down in verse 13, wisdom tells us that she hates pride and arrogance and evil and perverted speech. And listen, here's, here's why that's important. All day long, you and I want to do what's right. You and I want to do what's right. Even when we're not loving God, and even when we're sinning, we are busy telling ourselves that what we're doing is actually the right thing. Proverbs 21.2 says, every way of a man 
is right in his own eyes. Even when what we want most is our sin, we also desperately want the sense that what we're doing is right and good. And so as Paul says in Romans chapters 1 and 2, he says that we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. And we call whatever it is that we've already decided to do good. When we're at the crossroads, the public place, so to speak, we hear a lot of voices, not just woman wisdoms. And we tend to listen to the voices, whether our own or others, that justify the things that we already want to do. Wisdom is saying to us, listen, hey, I I can show you what is actually true and right. I can show you the real deal, the way that truly does honor the Lord and lead to blessing. Wisdom is, is saying to us, make me your lodestar. Make me your guiding light. You can't help but want to do the right thing, in a sense, even when you want to do the wrong thing. And wisdom is calling you, give up trying to determine good and evil without reference to the Lord. Give up trying to feel that you're doing what's right, even without listening to God. Wisdom is saying, listen carefully to God's revealed wisdom. Measure your thinking and your decisions by the yardstick of God's truth. It will not mislead you. Wisdom is righteous. God's wise word is righteous. And of course, Jesus Christ is righteous. Listen, if if you want to know what righteousness looks like, If you want your life and your actions and your character, Christian, to conform to the righteousness of God, listen to wisdom's words, certainly. And as you listen to wisdom's words, look at Jesus. Look at the Christ who is held out to you in God's wise words. Jesus is altogether righteous. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, the wrath-removing sacrifice for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christians, see the righteousness of your advocate, Jesus. So serious about the holiness of God that he would die to vindicate God's holiness. So full of saving love that he would die to make sinners righteous, so righteously committed to his people that he advocates for our forgiveness at the Father's right hand, so righteously opposed to sin that he does not rest until he has made his people holy. Jesus is the perfect picture of God's wise righteousness, and we become like him as we look at him as we see what he's like. Wisdom is available. Jesus is available. Wisdom is righteous. Jesus Christ is righteous. Third thing we see about wisdom in this passage, wisdom is precious. Wisdom is precious. And in fact, to be very specific, wisdom is more precious than gold. Look there at verse 10. Wisdom says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Wisdom is more precious than gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Just in case you missed it, 
Then again, down in verse 19, wisdom says, My fruit is better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than gold. Even fine gold and my yield than choice silver. If this is ringing a bell, uh, it's because Proverbs has already made this point in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where we read this. The gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than gold. If you keep reading Proverbs, Proverbs will say this yet again. In chapter 16, verse 16, it says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding to be chosen rather than silver. Wisdom is more precious than gold. Right? None of us is, is likely to be in danger of forgetting that gold is highly valuable. None of us is ever going to be shopping for jewelry and suddenly think, wait a second, which one's the precious metal? Is it, is it gold or is it aluminum? I can't. You know, I, I better Google it. Right? I don't, which one? None of us is in danger of thinking, oh, maybe is it brass or copper that's more, that's more precious than, than gold? I can't, I can't remember the comparative value of the elements on the table right now, right? We all know Gold is very precious. Proverbs is badgering us to remember, never to forget even, that wisdom is more precious than gold. On the way home to church, if you find a stack of gold bars, your life would change. Your life would not change for the better more than if you left church wiser. Wisdom is more precious than gold. Becoming wise, becoming the kind of person who fears the Lord, who goes through life with a heart full of reverence for God, it will bring you more lasting joy and peace than a whole bunch of money. Wisdom is more precious than gold. Friend, Jesus is more precious than gold. And the Gospels of Matthew and Mark tell us about a woman who understood that Jesus was more precious than gold. The week before he died, Jesus was reclining at table near a friend's, in a friend's house near Jerusalem. And this woman who understood that Jesus was more precious than gold, she took a costly flask of ointment, and she poured it over Jesus' head in order to honor him as a gift to him. And some of those present said, wow, what a waste to pour almost a year's salary of ointment on this man. And Jesus said to her, no, she's done a beautiful thing to me because I was more precious to her than gold. In Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, immediately after that story, Judas Iscariot offers to betray Jesus for money. Money was more precious to Judas than Jesus. You know, I, I don't think that we're meant to, the conclusion that we're meant to draw from those two stories is that this woman had more willpower than Judas, that she was more hardcore the conclusion that we're meant to draw is that this woman saw Jesus clearly. She saw his comparative worth. That's why he was most precious to her. Friend, what do you see in Jesus Christ? Do you see the salvation that he gives as more precious than life, 
Do you see intimacy with him as more precious than comfort? Do you see his love for you as more trustworthy than money? Do you see nearness to him as more beautiful than sin? Do you see his counsel as a better guide than your own heart? Do you see following him as worth pouring out yourself for? May God's word persuade our hearts today and every day that Jesus is more precious than gold. Wisdom is available. Wisdom is righteous. Wisdom is precious. Jesus is available, righteous, precious. Fourth thing we see about wisdom in this passage is that wisdom is practical. Excuse me. Wisdom is practical. Uh, at this point, it's, it's helpful to remember that the very first verse of Proverbs uh, associates the book of Proverbs with King Solomon, uh, the king of Israel in the 10th century BC, David's son. It's important to remember that as king of Israel, Solomon would have had uh, a complex job. As king, he would have been a military leader. He had a hand in the nation's economy, in international trade. He was responsible for domestic and foreign policy. Uh, he would have had a court full of nobles and advisors and a large labor force. He oversaw numerous building projects, we know from other passages of the Bible. Uh, he was to administer justice over a whole nation or to appoint and oversee others who would do so. First uh, Kings chapter 4 talks about Solomon's well-ordered administration The king was not a priest, but he was, in a sense, also a religious figure. He was meant to lead God's people in obedience to the law of Moses. So it's it's safe to say that Solomon the king had a lot of complex, practically difficult duties. His job was very likely more complex than yours or mine. Being a king is a complex job. Well, look at me at verses, look with me at verses 12 to 16 of our passage. They say this, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Those words describe the ability to know what to do. Wisdom, knowledge, discretion. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate, again, wisdom is righteous. Next verse, I have counsel and sound wisdom. Those are words that describe good plans. I have insight. I have strength. Verse 15. Look at verse 15. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. And what What can make one equal to the complex boots-on-the-ground task of overseeing a kingdom? Wisdom. Wisdom is practical. Friends, whatever whatever the work that the Lord in His providence has assigned you to do, whether as a mother or a father or an agent or an analyst or a brother or a teacher or a deaconess or the child of an aging parent— Wisdom is what you need to handle the practical complexities of life well. Wisdom is what made Solomon a great king at first, and the rejection of that wisdom was Solomon's downfall, if you know his story. I think about what we've seen in Proverbs so far about how wisdom looks concretely. What does it look like to 
to actually behave wisely that we've seen over the past few weeks. Well, Proverbs 8 is saying to us, hey, do you want something immensely practical for doing life well? Well, here it is, the integrity of being wise, the honesty and the forthrightness that come from being wise, uh, the humility and the willingness to be corrected that come from being wise. Uh, last week, we thought about the diligence of the ant that's a part of being wise, the forward-thinkingness of the ant that's part of being wise. That's, that's so useful, right? The, the insight, the understanding, the perceptiveness about people and their hearts and situations, that the ability to listen attentively and to learn that's a part of wisdom, the stabilizing fear of God that it's a, that's at the heart of wisdom. Can you see that these things are of tremendous practical boots-on-the-ground value? A few years ago, I was working a job and really wrestling with how to do this job well. And I remember specifically thinking to myself, man, I would be so much better at my job. I would be more value to my employer if I just feared God more and cared about what people thought less. The wisdom is immensely practical. I'll just be really brief here. Jesus is practical too. Jesus is practical. We could talk about how Jesus himself was, as the supreme wise man, a practical person. We could talk about how those who witnessed his life said of him, he has done all things well. But the point more in line with Proverbs 8 here is that walking with Jesus can help you live well practically. That's a very, very small part of the story. Jesus would be worth it even if being a Christian weren't practically helpful. But as Paul writes in 1 Timothy, he says that godliness, which is nothing except walking with Jesus, he says it has promise for this life and for the one to come. Walking with Jesus doesn't just give you good spiritual feelings on Sunday. It helps you live well all week. Wisdom is available. Wisdom is righteous. Wisdom is precious. Wisdom is practical. Fifth and finally, here's, here's why wisdom is practical. Wisdom is pre-existent. Wisdom is pre-existent. There in verses 22 to 31, uh, God's wisdom is pictured as existing before uh, and present during God's creation of the world. Uh, some of the language there, uh, especially in verse 30, seems to imply that wisdom is sort of an active agent involved in the creation of the world. So just as you might come up with a story from your imagination, we might say, the picture is that God created the world by his wisdom. That was the means or the agent of his creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we, we learn that before God ordered his world, before he sort of made it a habitable place, we learn that it was formless and void. It was chaotic and it was empty. Throughout verses 22 to 31, the focus that we get is that wisdom was involved in the ordering of a chaotic cosmos. There are other passages that talk about God's wisdom on display in the glory of the amazing animals that he made, or the magnitude and, and the beauty of the stars that he flung into space. That's not so much what these verses talk about. These verses, if you read them, 
point out how God ordered the earth to make it a livable space. Wisdom is the means by which God ordered his creation rightly. And notice verses 22 to 31. What's the very last thing that gets mentioned in that list? Mainly, he talks about forming the mountains and establishing the boundary for the sea and uh, marking out the dust and uh, making the world habitable. But what's the very last thing there at the end of verse 31? It says that wisdom was rejoicing in God's inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Have you heard that phrase before? Look back up to verse 4. Who is wisdom talking to? Wisdom is talking to the children of man. You see, wisdom is addressing us as the manufacturer, so to speak. A few weeks ago, I bought a little fitness ring. I didn't wear it today. It distracts me when I preach, but I bought an an Ura ring. It's kind of like a Fitbit for your finger. There's no screen on it, but it kind of tracks your your vitals and your heart rate and things like this. And there's there's an app that goes with it on your phone. And it's really confusing how to work it because you get it out and there are no buttons. There's no screen. It's not going to talk to you or there's no speaker. It's not going to walk you through anything. And so in order to figure out how my fitness ring worked, I looked at the instruction manual provided to me by the manufacturer because I figured they would know having put it together, right? Brothers and sisters, God's wisdom is the wisdom by which you were put together. Why can you trust that what God says is wise and good for you is wise and good for you? Because his wisdom is the means by which he put you together. He is the manufacturer. He is in a position to know how to bring your life into order just as he brought the cosmos into order. He is in a position to know how you work and what is best for you. It's important to remember woman wisdom is not a literal being. This is not sort of a a demigod present with God during creation. Again, wisdom is a poetic image for God's attribute of wisdom. She seems to be kind of pictured as a first thing that God creates. She's not eternal, but she is pre-existent. And this is where Jesus is even better than wisdom because Jesus is pre-existent as the eternal creator. John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. All three make the point that God created the world through the eternal Son of God. Remember God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit? All three persons are active in creation. And the Son, who would become Jesus by taking on the form of a man, he is particularly active as the agent of creation. So friend, listen, if there's an area of your life in which you know that you are persistently defying the wisdom of Jesus. Can you see that that's like writing your own instruction manual for your fitness ring? It's like deciding how it works based on how you feel rather than on how the people who made it tell you it works. Friends, it's not safe to to assume that we know better than our creator. It is safe and good to trust that the God who made us knows what is best for us, that Jesus, the manufacturer, knows what's good, that we can trust his words as the preexistent creator. 
Wisdom is available. Wisdom is righteous. Wisdom is precious. Wisdom is practical. Wisdom is preexistent. Jesus is each of these things supremely. One final word of application to close from verses 32 to 36. This final section. Let me read those verses. It says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear, 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 hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. If you've been here before, you will not be surprised again. The application three times in these verses is to listen. The heart of the matter is there in verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Blessed, happy, flourishing is the one who listens to me. Watching daily at my gates. And next week, we'll see that woman wisdom isn't just a street preacher. She is a mansion owner and a hostess. And she invites us daily, D-A-I-L-Y, to wait outside her house to listen to her. And she says that blessedness, happiness, true joy comes from listening to her. Brothers and sisters, may our hearts be persuaded that listening to God's words is not just a duty that we have to do at the beginning of the day, lest we feel bad about ourselves. It is the way to blessedness. May God grant that our hearts believe that the Christ who is held out in the scriptures is the bread of life that we need day after day. Praise God for his gift of wisdom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray that he would cause our hearts to desire him more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We worship you as the only wise God. Thank you that you have spoken clearly to us, both in creation and supremely in your word that holds out your son, who is wisdom incarnate. Lord, I pray that we would take to heart the things that we've seen about your wisdom and about your son, that we might treasure him supremely, that we might want him, or that we might be eager daily to listen to him and to know that those who find him, those who walk with him, find life and blessedness. Lord, persuade our hearts of these things that we might love and serve you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.